0: Or through our online campus. If this message blesses you, and you'd like to support the ministry financially, again, you can go to eclive.org and click on the Giving tab and choose Online Campus as your campus. Thanks again for joining us today, and we hope this message will be an encouragement to you on your spiritual journey. Manuel Church, how are we feeling today? Everybody feeling pretty good? Why well, I'm glad to hear that. Thank you so much. Welcome to Emmanuel. And I don't care if you're here at the Greenwood campus, if you're at Banta, Franklin, Garfield Park, Seymour, or the online campus, welcome to Emmanuel Church. I know I've probably not met every one of us, every one of you that's joining us today. My name is Cody Johnson. I am the campus pastor for our Emanuel Church Greenwood campus. Welcome if you are new, if you've been here for 10 years or 60 years. It is so good to be with all of you. Thank you so much for coming out. I do want to talk very specifically for just a moment, if I may to the Seymour campus. Now Seymour, I know that you're watching right now. I actually had a chance to come visit you for the open house on Tuesday night, and it was a whole lot of fun. Thank you so much for the invitation. I was very humble. Thank you for having me. But when I was there you guys had some food and I, I love food so much. Thank you for thinking of me again. And I loved the food that you were serving because it was nachos. You put a a massive amount of meat on top of my chips. But then there was a very specific impact team member, and I arrived to her post in the nacho line. And this impact team member, I'm not going to out her, but you know who you are. You had a spoonful of mac and cheese, and you looked me in the eye, and you said, if you want to do this right, you're going to let me put this mac and cheese on your nachos. And so I looked at my plate, and I looked at you, and with full sincerity, I looked in the eye, and I said, I trust you. And I think you changed my life. So I wish the Seymour <laughs> campus nothing but love and joy and peace and prosperity today. Thank you so much. We're glad that you are with us as a part of Emanuel Church. Now, let's get to the message. We are in week number two of detours. Last week, Pastor Danny kicked us off and he said that sometimes you're going along in life Driving through, things seem to be going pretty well. And then bang, hit the sign and it says detours. It says road closed. It says flood zone. The flood one annoys me. I hate the flood zone sign. That's the one that drives me nuts. But then when, you're in, when you encounter that detour, you got to do something with it. Sometimes you resist the detour and you push back against it. Or as Pastor Danny talked about last week, you can embrace the detour and you can grow from it. If you missed that message last week, I would encourage you to go back, check it out on YouTube. That was the kickoff for the series. And this was the big idea. This is the idea that's going to carry us throughout the four weeks of this series. Mishandling detours can permanently derail your life if you don't embrace the detour. Sometimes, man, they can knock you off course and you can't get back. In week number three, we're going to talk about accidental detours. In week number four, we're going to talk about permanent detours. But today, today's a little bit different. You see, all those other weeks, external factors and forces are emphasizing and they are determining what the detour is in your life. This week. These are self-inflicted detours, and I was trying to think of a delicate way to put this, I really was, because I love you all so much. But this is the most delicate way I can say it, and so I hope you'll receive this with humility. You're a bonehead, and it's all your fault. In fact, I think we can say that together as a church. On the count of three, just say, it's all my fault. One, two, three. It's all my fault. That's okay, I think you can do just a smidge better. One, two, three. It's all my fault. Yes it is, you big dumb animals, it is your fault. It really is. You've said things, you've done things, you have made decisions, and you were going one way, things seemingly were going pretty well, and then you opened your mouth. You acted out of emotion, you acted out of anger, you lusted, you did something, and it knocked you off course. This week is all about self-inflicted detours. And we love a good self-inflicted detour. We love to watch them on comedy TV shows. I know some of my personal favorites, you're talking about Seinfeld, Frasier, those are probably my top two. Maybe you think about New Girl, you think about Parks and Rec, The Office. Why do we watch those shows? We watch for the self-inflicted detour because sometimes the self-inflicted detour makes us laugh and it's, it's just a good story. Sometimes it's all it needs to be. How did they put themselves in this position? How are they gonna get out of this spot? How is Schmidt going to recover from the situation that he has put himself in in New Girl? How are they gonna get back and sometimes it's just a good story and that's it my life has been filled to the brim with self-inflicted detours i know when i was thinking about an illustration for this week my dad and i actually went on a trip back in 2011. we went down to tennessee both had motorcycles we thought hey it was close to my birthday my dad wanted to do something nice i thought it was really cool so we took the bikes down to tennessee and we rode around for a few days it was awesome this is actually a picture of my dad with the bikes this is my dad right here and if there was any picture to capture the essence of my father, this is it. Telling everybody to hang loose. He's a chatty guy, he's a good dude. He's one of the most incredible men that I've ever known. Side note, my dad is my hero. So if it seems like I'm gushing about him, it's for good reason. But yeah, these are the bikes and we headed down to Tennessee. And long story short, we're down in Tennessee, we're riding around, having a great time, eating a lot of Mexican food, life was good. And then we went to the Blue Ridge Parkway, which is this patch of land that connects North Carolina, Tennessee, and Virginia. And I'm just taking in the sights, having a good time, looking around. There's trees, there's mountains. And my dad, who knows no strangers, chatting up these three older dudes who own really nice motorcycles. He's talking to him. I'm kind of letting him do his thing. And then he comes back over to me. He's like, hey, we, uh, we, we, need, we need to hook up with these guys. We need to go riding with them. I'm like, man, we're not going to go riding with these guys. We don't know them. I'm not going to get on a motorcycle and trust three guys with my life. Like, I I just started riding my motorcycle about a year earlier. I was still a little skittish. Like, the fact that I was in Tennessee was a big deal. But I was like, we're absolutely not going to go riding with them. And then he dropped this on me. He was like, no, 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 you don't understand. Like, one of them said they were a backup singer for Elvis. (laughs) And I'm thinking, one, irrelevant. Two... Like, Why would that make me want to ride with them anymore? Like, are they going to sing Love Me Tender while we're out on the interstate? Like, what are you talking about? What do you mean? So my dad talked me into it, and I went on the self-inflicted detour. I could have said no, but I said yes. And he assured me. He told me we're going to take it nice and slow. We got cruisers, but these are cruisers. We're going to cruise. It's not a big deal. We didn't cruise. There was no cruising. We didn't do 50 miles an hour. Not 60, not 70, not 80, 90 miles an hour, 90 American miles an hour. We were doing on the interstate. They're flying in front of me. These old guys fleeced me and I'm hanging on for dear life. I'm gripping it. I'm audibly yelling into the void, screaming as I'm passing these cars and weaving. Keep in mind, it's 2011. I had just trusted in Christ seven months earlier. I thought I was going to meet him that day. I thought, like, (laughs) I'm going to meet Jesus. It's going to be great. So then these guys peel off. They take their exit. My dad waves at them. They wave back. I don't wave because I'm worried that not all of my fingers will work. not the thumb <laughs> and so we get to the gas station and my dad's like, how about that? And I'm like, what is wrong with you? And sometimes that's it, right? Sometimes that's a self-inflicted detour. Like we talk about that at cookouts. We talk about that at family get togethers. We laugh and it's great and it's wonderful, but that's not really what we're talking about today because sometimes a self-inflicted detour is much more serious than that. We just heard a second ago mishandling the detour sometimes can permanently derail your life. Sometimes these things that you say, sometimes these decisions that you make, these choices that you make, sometimes these, the succumbing to peer pressure, you allowing emotions to navigate how you treat people, how you dictate, how you make decisions. Sometimes these things can really wreck your life. But before we talk about what the detour is, we need to define the main road, the main path that we're straying from. So I think for the purpose of this message, today, I think the main road is simply to follow Christ. The main road is to follow Christ, to obey him, to move from being a fan to a follower, like we talked about in the last series, to listen to what he wants you to do, how he wants to live through your life, to pick up this book, this holy Bible, to read it and to follow and to trust and obey what he says. That is the main road. So if that's the main road, what's the self-inflicted detour? Well, Today, I think the self-inflicted detour is sin. Self-inflicted detours are sins. They are anything that is taking you away from God, anything that is causing you to stand in opposition to who God is, his character, or what God is trying to do in the kingdom he's established on this earth. And I'm going to be honest with you. This book, this amazing holy Bible that we worship, that we trust as the God-breathed, God-inspired text, the way that we live our lives, this book is full, full of amazing poetry, Literature, history, Old Testament, New Testament, pearls of wisdom, especially found in Proverbs, but it's also filled with a bunch of big, dumb idiots who continually went on these self inflicted detours and strayed from what the Word of God said. They did not obey. And I was thinking about a, an example that we could talk about today, and one flashed in my mind very clearly, and that was King Saul. You can read about King Saul in the book of 1 Samuel. So if you've got your Bible with you today, if you've got your cell phone, pull it up on the app. We've got a Bible on the app. You can follow along. But in 1 Samuel, it talks about King Saul and his rise to being the king of Israel. The people of Israel wanted a king. God said, no, that's probably not what you need. The prophet Samuel, who God spoke through regularly, told the Israelites, you don't know what you're asking for. You really don't want this. But they kept coming to him and saying, no, no, no. We know best. We know best. Let that pride get the best of them a little bit. And so God finally granted them their wish and said, you know what? We can get a king for him. That's fine. So who did they pick? They picked the guy named Saul. And in 1 Samuel, King Saul is described as being tall, handsome, one of the most impressive-looking men in all of Israel. Now, I don't know if you're like me, but as I'm reading, I like to get vivid images in my head of what I'm reading about. And I like to assign things that I've seen in real life with things that I'm reading. So in my head, I was thinking, who's impressive? Who's really handsome? who's tall, who's successful, who looks like a king. And the only guy that came to my mind was The Rock. This is the only guy who I could think of. <laughs> I mean, look at the guy for crying out loud. He walks in here, going to be like, man, that's somebody impressive. Like he's got on the silk shirt. He's got whatever color pants those are. And He's got the leather jacket, the cheekbones, the shoulders. Like, he's an impressive dude. And fellas, like, I'm comfortable enough with my masculinity and my sexuality to say, without any sort of shame whatsoever, that's a handsome dude. That's a handsome guy. Like, he looks the part. He looks like a king, right? So this is in my head who I'm thinking of when I think of King Saul. Now, it starts off, and God is very specific with King Saul, by telling him, look, this is how I want you to run your kingdom. This is how I want you to run your armies. There's not a lot of gray area in the way that God is speaking through Samuel and instructing Saul. Not a lot, not a lot of wiggle room there. And you can start to see King Saul stray a little bit in 1 Samuel chapter 13. He starts to take these self-inflicted detours where he goes against what God is telling him to do. He clearly has an opportunity to obey, and instead he chooses to let that pride creep in a little bit, start doing things his own way. So you can read about that yourself in 1 Samuel 13. I want to read about 1 Samuel chapter 15. Because I want you to listen to how not only I want you to listen to not only the effects of directly disobeying God and taking that self-inflicted detour away from his path, but I want you to see how it affects other people. Because I think that's something you and I miss sometimes. We don't think about how our self-inflicted detours affect family members, how they affect friends co-workers, colleagues, people who are praying for us. Let's check this out in 1 Samuel 15, verse 1. It says, One day, Samuel the prophet said to Saul, It was the Lord who told me to anoint you as king of his people, Israel. Now listen to this message from the Lord. This is what the Lord of heaven's armies has declared. I have decided to settle accounts with the nation of Amalek for opposing Israel when they came from Egypt. Now go and completely destroy the entire Amalekite nation, men, women, children, babies, cattle, sheep, goats, camels, and donkeys. Is there any gray area in that command? Nope. Pretty black and white. Anything with breath in its lungs, I want you to destroy. Very clear instruction. So King Saul takes this command, he feels pretty good about it, and he starts to obey it, and things seemingly for a time look okay. You see in verse 7, it says, then Saul slaughtered the Amalekites from Havilah all the way to Shur, east of Egypt. He had like 210,000 men. He had the equipment to do the job. He had every resource available, and things are going well initially, but then that pride creeps in. We start to take that self-inflicted detour, and it says, he captured Agag, the Amalekite king, but completely destroyed everyone else. Now we're starting to stray a little bit. Now we're going off the main road. Now we're starting to take that self-inflicted detour. We're not obeying God. And then it says, Saul and his men spared Agag's life, kept the best of the sheep and the goats, the cattle, the fat calves, and the lambs. Everything, in fact, that appealed to them. They destroyed only what was worthless or of poor quality. So what did he do? He had clear instructions, knew what the main road looked like, Very easy path to do it. All the resources, everything in his power that he needed to follow that main road. What did he choose? He chose, hey, I'm gonna sacrifice these things to God instead of obeying him, which Samuel and God were very disappointed in because they wanted his obedience. They wanted his heart. They wanted him to follow the main road. And Samuel and God are crushed. Listen to what it says in 1 Samuel chapter 15. It said, then the Lord said to Samuel, I'm sorry that I ever made Saul king. For he has not been loyal to me and has refused to obey my command. And Samuel was so deeply moved when he heard this that he cried out to the Lord all night. Man, I hope this resonates with some of you today. Because some of you are on this self-inflicted detour and you have no idea how it's affecting the people around you. You think that this is some sin that nobody can see. You think you're being slick. You think you're hiding it. You're not hiding it. People know. And they're praying for you. Their heart is breaking because they can see what God can do through you. They know that you have potential, that God can do something amazing in your life. And you're choosing to take that self-inflicted detour and it's breaking their hearts. But as crushing as this is, as tough as this is to hear, this is not the worst part of these self-inflicted detours. There's something that's far worse that can happen to you if you keep taking these self-inflicted detours day after day, month after month, year after year. What happens is a soul condition that is talked about in this book called Humility by C.J. Mahaney. If you've never read this book, I've never said this about a book before, this is required reading. Buy this book from a bookstore, Amazon, I don't care what you gotta do, I think you can buy it now on Amazon use for like six bucks. It's roughly the size of a good sandwich. It's a quick read, but man, it's one of those life-changing books. Like this guy continually points us back to God. But he talks about this condition called a hardening of a soul. And this is what he says, the danger of these self-inflicted detours is when you continually indulge in sin, when you continually take that self-inflicted detour, day after day, month after month, year after year, your soul becomes hardened what does that mean? What does it mean for my soul to become hardened? We read about this in Hebrews chapter 3. The author says we are called to exhort one another every day, to encourage, to urge each other every day, as long as it is still called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Let's hang here for a minute. You are hardened to what sin is really doing in your life. Sin is lying to you. Sin is making you comfortable. Sin is making you think that these choices that you're making, these things that are causing you to stray from the path of Jesus Christ, they're acceptable. So what do you do? You start making excuses. You start doing what Saul did and blaming other people. You start finding loopholes in Scripture to say, well, it it technically could kind of maybe say this, so I'm going to keep doing it. This is fine. We make deals with ourselves so that we can continually break God's heart over and over again. You break the heart of people around you that love you and care about you. This is the hardening effect because then the main road starts to look like the detour. Jesus starts to become an inconvenience. Following his will for your life, that's something that I might get to if I pass it on the road, not the main road for my life. But that's not all because that's the ESV translation of this verse. If you look at the NLT version, not only do you become hardened to the deceitfulness of sin, You become hardened against God to what he's trying to do for your life. You become hardened. You're not soft to what he's trying to do through you and within you. You can't receive anything. You can't hear correction. You can't hear gentle encouragement. Like, hey, I got to warn you, you're going down this path. It's not going to end well. You just brush it off because you're hardened to whatever God has for your life. And you think about it. All these people, like you, you see these big sins, right? All sin is the same. We all know that, but not everybody. Some people think there are some sins that are bigger than others. Like, oh man, I can't believe that he cheated on his wife. He just made that decision one day. No, he didn't. He continued to take self-inflicted detour after detour after detour. He looked at the girl at the gym. He looked again, didn't do anything with it. Started flirting a little bit. Started sending messages. Then after we send messages, now we start to hide that a little bit and then we meet and then... It's not one stroke of the ax that kills you. It's death by a thousand cuts. That's the way sin works. And C.J. Mahaney talks about the worst part of this soul hardening in his book. And this is what he says. The ultimate effect from such hardening by sin is that grace, grace, Jesus Christ dying on the cross for you and for me to pay the penalty for the sins that we committed. We should have paid that debt, but Jesus Christ paid it for all of us. Grace for blank no longer amazing it's no longer something to cause awe-inspired wonder it just becomes another story now in the book that line it says for the christian that's what cj mahaney says i think this is worse what i want you to write in your notes is i want you to put for m e for me grace is no longer amazing because this affects all of us every single one of us So now that we know the danger of this soul-hardening condition, now that we know what's at stake, if we don't properly handle these detours that could permanently derail our life, what are we going to do about it? What's the question we have to ask? The question today is how can we get back to the main road? Some of you have been gone for a long time. Some of you are having a lot of trouble remembering what the main road looks like. You took the self-inflicted detour. You kept taking it. You kept taking it. Now you're starting to get a little confused. How do we get back to the main road? How do we get back to that place where Christ is number one in our lives? i got a couple ideas for you today. It's a big issue, but I think if we tackle these two potential solutions or two remedies head on, I think it might help a little bit. So let's go to number one. I think we have to think differently. I think we got to think differently about a lot of different things. we got to think differently about how we treat each other, how we view God and we have to think differently most of all about sin. We have to think differently about sin because here's the thing. We are all sinners, each and every single one of us, right? I think we're all on that plane. Nobody's better than, than anybody else. We're all sinners. All of us are sinners. If you think that you're not a sinner, you are confused. Each and every single one of us is a sinner. Gam-gam, grandma in your life, she makes that delicious banana bread with the chocolate chips and the nuts. It's delicious. Sinner. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. The, the cutest, chubbiest baby in any one of the children's ministries right now—the one with the chubby cheeks that looks like they're holding secrets—and then the the fat little rubber band arms, where the fat is actually folding over itself. Yeah, you know what I'm talking about? Sinner. I'm a sinner. I kind of take the Paul approach to it. Like I am the greatest of these. I sin. I, I freely admit that I do. I am not some perfect being. Like I am a sinner. Ask my wife if you disagree. But we also have this misconception about sin that we are powerless against it. We can't do anything to it. It's just since it's a part of our condition, I just have to bow to it and I have to obey sin. You hear people talk. Maybe you've spoken like this. You people say stuff like this all the time. Maybe you've said this. Banta, Franklin, Garfield Park. You saying stuff like this? Seymour, do you say, you know what? I'm just an angry person. This is how I am. You know, how do you expect me not to look at the girl at Target? Like, what do you, what do you expect me to do? I'm a sinner. I'm going to look. Of course I'm going to be prideful. I take pride in things I do. I'm a proud person. Yeah, everybody lies. I can't stop lying. I'm a sinner. That's how I'm wired. We think that we are powerless to do anything against the sin in our lives, and that could not be further from the truth. That used to be the case. But then Jesus Christ came to this earth. And he changed everything. And some of you need to hear what I'm about to share with you. It was written in Romans. Some of you need to internalize it. For some of you, this may be the thing that gets you back to the main road today. Listen to what Paul says in Romans. He says, we know that our old sinful nature, old, not the present condition, old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. Hang there. Lose its power. You're not under its power anymore. You used to be, not since Jesus was here. And this next sentence might be the freedom that you're looking for today. The next sentence says, we are no longer slaves to sin. Can we celebrate Jesus Christ for that today at all of our campuses? Some of you need to hear it. Some of you didn't know you were free today. Some of you were living like he never died today. Jesus died for you to cover the penalty of your sins. For when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. You are no longer in bondage. You have been liberated. So when you take that self-inflicted detour, you know what you're doing? You are sprinting back to slavery. And you're making the choice to do so. Now, we are all going to sin. We are all going to fall short and stumble, but there's a difference. There's a difference between people who identify, man, I'm making a mistake. I'm going to repent. I'm going to turn. I'm going to go back to the main road. And there are people who just go deeper and deeper and deeper. These are the ones that think they are still in bondage to slavery, and you're not. This is a battle. It's a battle internally that you have to fight each and every single day. It is a war inside of you. But the best part about this war is that you get to choose who wins. You got to start thinking about it differently. You got to start thinking about it like it's a war between two wolves. Now, you're probably sitting there thinking that's a really specific example. (laughs) And it is. It's very personal to me, and I'll tell you why. It's because of a poster I have in my office. And the poster is called The Two Wolves. Now, this is a story that's been around for years and years and years. and The origin of the story is often disputed. The way I heard it told to me was that it's this Cherokee proverb or fable But I love the story because I think it captures this inner battle between the main road and that detour following Christ and sin and the human condition. And I know the text is kind of hard to read, but I got it memorized, so I'll just share it with you right now. It's his Cherokee grandfather, and he's talking to his granddaughter. And the grandfather says, a fight is going on inside of me. It's a terrible battle, and it's between two wolves. The first wolf is evil. He is anger. He is lust. He is inferiority, superiority, pride, hatred, irritation, and ego. The second wolf is good. This wolf is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, humility, and faith. He looks at his granddaughter and he says, the same battle is going on inside of you and every other person too. And he gets up to walk away and the granddaughter reaches for him and she says, which wolf will win? And he looks back at her and he says, the one you feed. Hmm. Now, some of you might be inclined to leave the service and get a wolf tattoo. I get, wolves are pretty sick and pretty cool. But the reason I share that is this is the thinking. You have a choice which wolf to feed. That good wolf following Christ, you can feed that wolf as often as you doggone want. Prayer, meditation, focusing on scripture, keeping Jesus Christ at the front of your mind, surrounding yourself with people who are going to exhort you and encourage you and urge you to Christ's likeness. You can feed that wolf all day, but you can also feed the evil wolf. You can keep taking that detour. You can keep going down that road. But once you start to feed that good wolf, once you start to follow Christ, I mean, once you start regularly sowing to that, man, that changes not only how you look at your own sinful nature, but it changes how you look at other people as well because we're human beings. We're sinful. We like to copy what other people are doing, right? But we're called not to do that because that doesn't change us. In fact, in Romans 12, it says, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world. Don't do it. Quit looking at other people on social media and comparing what they're doing to what you're doing their highlight reel to your lowlights. Don't do that. The way that you transform and the way that you change is not on Instagram. It's not in the reels. The way that you transform is to let God transform you into a new person by changing the way that you think. It starts in your head. It starts in your heart so that when you progress to the next part, it says, then you will know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Once you have that locked in, and once you can commit to that, once that's fresh in your mind and it's always before you and you're constantly thinking about it, then that's going to allow you to progress to the last stage, the second thing that you need to do, which you got to humble yourself. You want to get back to the main road? You want to avoid these self-inflicted detours? Have sin, change its way out in your life a little bit, and you got to humble yourself. You not only have to humble yourself in light of God, but in light of other people. Let's talk about God first. And what C.J. Mahaney would describe as what humility truly is. C.J. would say this, humility is honestly assessing ourselves in light of God's holiness and our sinfulness. How often do you do that? When is the last time you did that? I'm not just talking to Greenwood. I'm talking to all the campuses, Banta, Franklin, Garfield Park, Seymour, online. When is the last time you had this assessment with yourself? When you realized just how sinful you were and the penalty that you should have paid in God's holiness. Because here's the thing about God. God doesn't need you. He doesn't need you for anything. He doesn't need me for anything. We need God for everything. Every day that I wake up, every day that, I, that you wake up and your eyes open and that air rushes into your lungs, That is a manifestation of you needing God. You need him for survival. You need him for your spiritual renewal. You need God for everything. So if you want to honestly assess that humility and improve that humility in your life, here's two things you can do. When you wake up in the morning, first thing you can do is say, God, thank you. Give him gratitude. Give him gratitude all day. Start your day with gratitude. End your day with gratitude. We're called to do this both in prayer, in our time in community with one another. Give gratitude. Thank him for everything, for your family, for your job, for your food, for the pain, for whatever you got. Thank him and also express that genuine need. God, I need you. That's the way you can start thinking. That's the way you can start existing because here's the amazing thing about God's holiness. God didn't need you and he doesn't need you for anything. He wants you. How often do you think about that? God wants you so bad, so deeply that he was willing to give up his perfect son on a cross so that he could be with you, so that he could have community with you, so that you wouldn't have to spend eternity apart from him. Would any of you do the same thing with your son or your daughter? He did it freely. For each and every single one of us, including the people that drive you nuts, the people that lights you up, the people that just make you want to slam your head in the steering wheel. These people, God gave up his son for all of them. And once you can have that in your mind, you can realize, oh my goodness, not only did Jesus Christ die for me and did God allow him to die for me, he allowed him to die for everybody. You can have a different perspective on human beings and you can start to look at people differently. This is how CJ Mahaney encourages us to look at other people. He says, we can start to identify evidences of grace in others. This means actively looking for ways that, God's, that God is at work in the lives of other people. Let's hang here for a second. How often do you do this? This is gut check time. How often are you doing this with other people? You can tell if you're doing this because you can look at someone, even when they tick you off, and you can say, you know what? I can see how good of a mother she is. Man, he's a bonehead, but he's a, he's a great dad. He's, he's really He's really trying. What is God trying to do in that person's life? What incomplete work is there in that guy's life that God is trying to finish? And is there a way that I can serve him? Because God's trying to help that guy and God served him in a massive way when he allowed his son to die for him. Maybe there's a way I can serve that person as well. How often are you thinking that way? Or have you taken the self-inflicted detour of pride and you look at people as objects and not things to be cherished? Do people annoy you? Do you gossip about them? continually? Do you complain about them all the time? Are you looking for evidences of grace or are you looking for evidences of annoyance? You have a choice because Jesus did not just die for you. He died for us and that's love. To love the people that drive you nuts, to serve them, to humble yourself, to see them how God sees them. And we know what love is because it says it in 1 John three sixteen. We know what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us. For who? Us. All of us. Each and every single one of us. Now, I know what some of you might be thinking. You might be sitting here listening to this message and that thoughts kind of creeping in like, man, love your neighbor. Jesus died for us. Like, come on, guy. Like, I... I grew up, I grew up in church. Like I've heard this message over and over and over again. Like I got it. Like, you got anything else? Got anything with a little bit more context? You got like some some depth for me? Something past this? And I get you. I understand. But here's what I would say to that. If this ever causes you to ask the question, is there anything else? If this next image ever causes you to think that the gospel is basic, or as we said earlier, that it's just another story, then I think that your pride has elevated itself to such a level in your life that you need to correct it immediately. Because this is not just another story, this is the story. We've been talking all morning about ways that people change their lives so you can think differently and humble yourself. This is how you think differently. This is what you need to think about. You need to worship this act of humility. This is why we show up week after week to praise his name because this is what it takes. This is humility. It's dying to yourself. Day after day, week after week, year after year. It's driving past that detour and choosing to follow Christ. It's choosing to die when other people would choose to live their own way. You have to think differently about this. If you want to avoid the self-inflicted detours, meditate on this as often as you possibly can. And stop looking at it like something that prevents you from getting to your car earlier on a weekend. This is the story and we should meditate on it, upon it as often as we can because our enemy will do anything he can to deceive you in thinking there's something more important than this. There's not. This is it. So the question I leave you with today is quite simply this. Will you go back to the main road? Will you go back? Some of you have been gone for a long time some of you have difficulty identifying what the main road even looks like anymore. You're thinking, man, like I used to be connected to Jesus. I used to have a faint idea, but now may i have been selfish. I've been arrogant. I've cheated on my wife. I cheated on my husband. Like there's no way back for me. I'm too far gone. This might also set you free today. You're never too far gone. You are never too far gone from Jesus, from his reach, from his love, for his eyes to be searching for you. You are never too far gone from Christ. You can always make the decision to get back to that main road. You can always make the decision to come home to Jesus Christ. Will you go back to the main road? Will you think differently about sin? Will you think differently about these self-inflicted detours? Will you humble yourself to realize God's holiness and the way that you can identify evidences of grace in other people, just as God does in you? Will you go back to the main road? And if you're new with us today, and this is your first time, and you just heard about what Jesus Christ did to you, what other information do you need? How long have you been on this self-inflicted detour? You're thinking the whole life, this is the way it's gotta be. This is the way I'm gonna, it's gonna be forever. It doesn't have to be. Because you can make the choice today to go back to that main road. Maybe for the first time in your life, you can have the purpose and the clarity so that when you wake up, you can say, God, thank you. I need you. You can say that today because Jesus Christ did die on a cross for all of us, but more specifically, he died on a cross for you. You sinned, I sinned, we all fall short, but Jesus died to pay the debt that you and I owed. Man, he paid it all and he paid it willingly so that you wouldn't have to spend eternity apart from God. You can trust in his sacrifice on a cross. And you can trust that he rose from the grace three days later. And he did this so that he could display That he can not only conquer sin, but he can conquer death and that he would never die again. If you are ready to make that decision today to come back to the main road, then you follow the words I'm about to say. You take these words and you pray them to Jesus right now. Make it simple, pray it from your heart. Everyone, would you please join me in prayer? You can say something like this. Dear Jesus, I wanna come back to the main road. Jesus, I need you. I wanna repent for my sins, I want to turn back. Jesus, I trust that you died for me on that cross. You gave your life for me. Your death covers the penalty for my sins and I am grateful. Jesus, I trust that you rose from the grave place my faith in that today. Wash me. Cleanse me. Help me to follow the main road for the rest of my life. Jesus, it's in your amazing name that I pray and we all said amen. We get to celebrate just like they're celebrating in heaven. Can you believe that? Let's celebrate this decision right now. There we go. If you just made this decision, we are so excited for you. You're getting back to the main road, it's amazing. All you need to do, text the word "saved" to 65248. Let us know that you made that decision. Drop your information in the comments below. We will send one of these save boxes to you. And then if you're at any of the physical campuses, you can go to the info desk and our Impact team members will put one of these in your hand. It's a save box, it's got a gift from us to you, it's a coffee cup. Inside there are next steps on how you can get connected in Emmanuel church. And then there's also a New Believers New Testament Bible so that you can discern God's will for your life and you can get started, you can get reading today. Can we give it up for God and what he's doing today? One more time. Absolutely amazing. Hey, let's pray together and then I will kick it to the local teams for dismissal. Will you join me in prayer? God, we thank you so much. We thank you so much for your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you for what he gave. God, we are so humble. Help us to get back to the main road. Help us to avoid these self-inflicted detours as often as possible. Help us to repent and not to allow our souls to become hardened. God, we love you so much. We are so thankful for you and your grace and your mercy. It's in your amazing name that we pray. And we all said, amen. Amen. At this time, we're gonna dismiss to local campuses. See you guys later.